A very warm welcome to the Change Conversations podcast, where we help individuals to reignite the spark to look at their lives and careers with a different lens. Our interactions interrogate different individuals of all backgrounds who seek to be equipped for change in their careers and personal goals. I am your host, Mbumengu Betaga, and I look forward to bringing you impactful change conversations. Fiona, how are you? I'm good, thanks. And you, Pumpume? I'm okay, thanks. Thank you for taking the time to speak to me. Um, as I mentioned, I've been seeing a lot of clients that um, always talk about how fear holds them back. Yeah. And I wanted us to really just have that conversation. And I wanted to tap into your psychology part of things. And, um, and for you just to really take us through what fear is about, as well as give us some tips of how we can deal with this. So let's just see how, how the conversation flows and where it goes. Okay, and, and thanks so much for, for having me. Hopefully, you know, uh, your, 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 your clients will be able to find some value in this. I think, you know, to, to kick off, um, you know, based on, I think, your, your opening question just around what is fear. So basically fear is a response to danger, to physical or emotional danger, right? So it is basically the physiological response, emotional response, um, and it's often triggered um, when we perceive threat. And I, and, I, and I use the word perceive intentionally because sometimes the threat is real. And sometimes it is perceived, but yeah, so, 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 so I think that's where sometimes the, the tricky part comes in terms of what is an actual real threat that warrants this kind of fearful response. Fear is a survival mechanism, right? Um, you know, because, you know, a, a good dose of fear is good because I guess if you didn't fear, you would not be able to be vigilant or to protect yourself. So imagine, um, okay. No, you're driving out at night and you've got zero fear whatsoever, right? It means you're not vigilant. You know, you're not trying to observe what is happening around you. If you think about the context of COVID, right? Of course, I think many people were just fearful, just, you know, living in a pandemic. So a good dose of fear is the thing that prompts you to wash your hands, to wear a mask, you know, to make sure that you're only going out when you need to, you know, if someone, I guess, um, you know, comes to your house or you're at the office, you know, it's that fear that drives that vigilance. However, imagine if you're not fearful at all, you would like just, you know, go around, touch whatever, not wash your hands, you know. Um, so, so I think, you know, there's a good amount of fear because then it, it kind of like directs appropriate behavior, particularly where we need to respond to a real threat. So in this case, you know, the, the virus is a real threat. It's out there. It exists, right? It, it, it is not perceived. Now, we all experience fear to, you know, to some extent or the other, right? Uh, you know, it could even be, you know, big things like, you know, living in a pandemic, you know, getting sick. It could be a small thing, I mean, or smaller things, which I guess might have the same uh, magnitude around doing a presentation, um, putting your hand up for a leadership job, uh, going back into the job market, right? Maybe you've been in the same company for 10 years. Now you're fearful of, you know, will I make it at a new company? You know, I'm so comfortable yeah. here. So, so it, 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 yeah, it comes at, at various magnitude. Um, now, it becomes a huge issue then 
when it is constant, it is nonstop. And I think particularly where it becomes paralyzing, right? So if you're fearful yeah. before you go into a presentation, you know, I mean, that's expected, that's normal. But where you find it's starting to affect your day-to-day ability just to do basic things, you know, get out of bed, you know, complete a task, have, you know, um, healthy relationships, you know, with, with friends, family, uh, partners, mm-hmm. significant mm-hmm. Others, others, ETC. That's when I guess it becomes a, a case where you might need a more active uh, intervention. Okay, so so when do you know that you're either in the extremes of not being fearful or, or of being too fearful? Like, how do you gauge it for yourself? Yeah, good question. I think normally, you know, if you were to go to a psychologist, a psychiatrist, or when you seek the medical help, they will often ask in terms of, you know, the length, right? So if I'm, let's say, fearful today because there is something that is happening, maybe I have to go out and, and I'm worried about my health and my safety, uh, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's you know, then maybe the, the next couple of days I'm fine. So it's normally where it is consistent. It happens okay. over a, a prolonged period. So, I mean, I, I mean, so probably maybe sometimes a month, two months, but it has to be, I guess, you know, more constant than, oh, last week I was feeling down, but this week, you know, I'm, I'm fine, right? And I think okay. also... You know, as I mentioned, where it becomes to where it starts to impact your day-to-day activity. So you often find at the I guess people where it's associated with anxiety, fear, and you know, with depression is things like I can't get out of bed, mm. I have no energy to do anything, I'm not even motivated. The things I used to enjoy on a day-to-day basis, they you know, they're just kind of meaningless to me now. Uh, you know, if you're working, yeah. it's things like you're struggling to concentrate, you're struggling to you know, even, you know, stay present in a meeting. Um, when it comes, let's say, to your family interactions, you know, you're really struggling to just be present in conversations, to have healthy, you know, interactions, you know, either with your kids, you know, or either with your, you know, with, with your family to an extent where they might even start to sort of notice. So it's ways over a prolonged period of time. Um, and then you just feel like day to day, you're struggling just to do your, your normal things, not even the complicated things, but I think, you know, what we call your day to day functioning things. Then in that case, you might, uh, you know, need to proactively address it, you know, usually through the intervention of, of, of a health professional. Yeah, but but does it always get linked into you're fearful about something or is you're just fearful about different things? Yeah, like, so sometimes... How would it work? Yeah, so, so it, it, I guess it all depends, right? What is the root of that fear? Sometimes maybe it could be an incident, maybe, you know, just environmental factors you've got. There are so many things that have happened at the same time, I guess, if you think about the pandemic, right? Or sometimes it could be linked to, so for example, you'll see... You know, you know, especially within a pandemic or when people go through difficult times, if you maybe have historically been prone to anxiety, to depression, maybe, you know, it's something you've been treated for, you've been diagnosed with, um, you know, sometimes it's a function of that uh, as well. So I guess, you know, through, you know, especially when you work with a therapist or, you know, with, with a clinical counseling psychologist, uh, they then yeah. would then see what is the root of that fear. Is it something, I guess, maybe that is, you know, ingrained in something else like, like depression and anxiety? Uh, or, you know, could it be then, like, so for example, if you look at now, we've been living in a pandemic, our world has changed, right? So it might be people that never really had any issues with fear have really found themselves paralyzed, you know, since lockdown. And now they, they can't even go out. They can't even enjoy anything without, you know, being being almost like, you know, para- paralyzed to a point of inaction. Um, you know, so, so, so in that case, yeah, the, the root differs depending on, on, on the individual. Okay. So if we were to take it into fear of change, 
because I think between what you do and what I do, a lot of people have to make change decisions. Yes. And, and mainly it's either change around um, big decisions that they have to take in mm. their lives or big decisions that they have to take within their careers. Yeah. So I'm in a horrible career. I do not want to wake up and go to this place on a daily basis. But I'm sitting there having this conversation with myself that says, but I'm too old, but I think I'm overqualified. But, but you know the buts that come yes. with that. And there's an element of, but I'm not even sure where to start. And the fear just blocks you, paralyzes mm-hmm. you that you are stuck in this place for years, whereas you know you're actually doing something that you hate. How yeah. does the conversation go? Yeah, so I mean, that's often, and I think that the change one, you know, is quite key because it's, you know, some people, you know, due to being in a comfort zone will stay in a job for longer than they should because they then worry, you know, am I actually equipped to apply for a higher position? Am I actually equipped, you know, if I move to another company, you know, where I don't know anyone, I have to prove myself again, you know, am I going to make the cut? So as you said, those things then keep people stagnant because, you know, you're fearful to put yourself out there. What if I get rejected? What if my CV is not good enough? What if my peers in the industry have far exceeded me, right? So in that case, right, I think one of the first things to, to start with, you know, and even just when you look at how people deal with, with all types of fear. So if, if, if you're a person that maybe has been for therapy or for counseling, one of the best ways, and I know it sounds counterintuitive, to get over a fear is to actually experience it in its entirety. You will never get over a fear yeah. unless you engage with it, right? So what many of the times happens is, let's say, you know, you're afraid um, that, you know, if you get in a leadership position, you're going to fail. You're not going to be good enough. You know, your team won't like you. Uh, You know, what if, you know, um, you know, I'm not cut out for it. Right. So in that case, the things that we fear, we often engage in avoidance behaviors. We avoid it. We don't want, you know, there's a position that comes up. You know, my boss said, hey, guys, I'm going on leave for two months. Who wants you know, to put their hands up to be in acting, you fear because you're like, oh, you know, if, if I go into it, then what if they reject me? What if they say, no, you're not good enough? So many of the times we avoid it. Now, if you avoid something, it means you can never practice it, right? And if you never practice something, it means you can never master it. And what then ultimately happens is you get a sense of failure associated to that. So let's say if I look at something small, let's say presentations, right? Let's say you're very fearful of doing presentations that, you know, um, even when you get an opportunity to present something, you always ask someone else to present your work or you say to your boss, oh, please, can you present it? So what ultimately that happens, what happens is then you never actually get to practice, you know, your, your ability to do presentations because the more you practice something, the more mastery you're likely to get, then it's going to increase in your confidence, right? And, you know, ultimately some of that failure and some of that fear, you know, it, it hits on our confidence because you feel, you know what? Um, I've not been able to progress in my career. I feel like I don't have enough visibility in the company because, you know, I, I'm too scared to do presentations. When I see a big boss walking past, I'm even too scared to say hi or anything of that sort. So ultimately it will then result to feelings uh, of failure because you are scared to engage in that. So what I would say to someone, because I know it sounds insurmountable to say, okay, you know, let's say the fear is presentations, right? Or public speaking, you know, just speaking in front of meetings, not even like speaking in front of a, a, a hall or a crowd. Crowd, yeah. Exactly. 
it's to start engage, exposing yourself to the fear, but in very small dosages, right? So if you, as I was mentioning, if you actually go for therapy and let's say you're fearful of water, you're fearful of, you know, crowds, you're fearful, whatever. Normally what the therapist does is, at, 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 I can't remember the exact name, I think it's called um, exposure therapy, where slowly but surely yeah. you start being exposed. If you look at it in our, you know, in the work environment and in the non-clinical setting, right? So instead of saying, okay, I'm going to put my hand up and go present at this exco, because that will just be way too overwhelming. And in fact, I think your feelings, the fear of that fear itself and how you're going to feel about that is going to completely discourage you. So you start exposing yourself to that fear in very small, comfortable dosages, right? So what that means is to say, okay, instead of me, if I ultimately want to present in front of executives, maybe I can actually say, why don't I present in front of my two colleagues, right? So I say, hey, you know, in our next one-on-one session, uh, you know, with my boss, I say, can I just present something in front of you? So you start exposing and you actually find you gain confidence the more you do it, you know, but then you start with, you know, presenting in front of small team meetings, two people, then you say, okay, fine, I've done it five or six times, maybe now the next team meeting, then, you know, the, the department meeting. Similarly, I think to change about jobs, right? So it depends, yeah. you know, if, if you feel like, well, you know, I'm a bit rusty, I haven't been in the market for a long time, I mean, I'm, I'm very fearful of, of you know, what, what it's going to look like, what if my CV is not good enough, right? The first thing that you might want to start doing is just to expose yourself, you know, to say what, what actually is out there. Okay, fine, before maybe I submit my CV, before I start applying, maybe let me talk to peers in other industries just around what are you guys doing? Um, you know, what, what are the challenges? You know, if, if I wanted to change, what are some of the things I would need to know? So you're just looking for information and you might actually even find that, what you're hearing about the industries you're fearful of getting for the jobs you're applying to is things that are like, oh, actually, this is not you know, uh, that bad. And also another thing yeah. that you can do is write your fears down, right? So you need to identify it. And sometimes, you know, I think you were talking about what is the root cause. So you really need to dig deep. Why am I actually afraid of changing jobs? Why am I afraid of leaving this company? Is it because I've had the same manager for 10 years? We get along, he gets me, you know, I get him. And I'm, I'm afraid if I move to another manager, it's, it's not going to work. Uh, and I might not be able to prove mm-hmm. myself, right? So writing your fears down, trying to really, I think, work through it, you know, so I mean, if it's not something that's clinical, you could probably do it with yourself, you know, with a coach such as yourself, even with a family member, right? Just someone who can just be like your thinking partner. And also, I think writing the evidence that undermines or counteracts that fear. So if you feel like I've been at the same company for 10 years, I'm too rusty. Another marketing company is not going to take me because I, I feel like, you know, I'm not competitive. So try and find evidence. Say, well, actually, but I have a friend, you know, we studied together. We've kind of had the same career. And in fact, she just got promoted into like an ex role, for, for example, right? So it might be, yeah. so, so your assessment that maybe I'm not good enough. And she said, actually, when we talk, in fact, sometimes she asks me for advice. And even when I'm telling her what I'm doing, she actually gets quite impressed. So you know, and, and don't, don't uh, what you call it, uh, discard anything. So try and think, you know, if I'm fearful of applying for a leadership position because I think I'm not a good leader, what are some of the things that counteract that? Well, this is, you know, what people say to me, you know, um, you know whenever maybe I've kind of like helped someone with something, you know, uh, this is where, you know, even though I've not led people, but, you know, I had to actually manage this process and, you know, it worked out quite well. So try and find, and, and, you, and it's just, I think, a way to balance your fears and also to see what is objective and what is subjective, because sometimes what is subjective can carry more weight, you know, to, so it's really yeah. for you to force yourself to say, but what is the objective evidence that I'm not competitive on the market? Have I actually looked okay. at 
five other CVs of people in my industry and say, well, mine is like light years behind. You know, you haven't done that, mm -hmm. but you just have the perception mm -hmm. that Pumi is doing so much better and this one is doing so much. So I think it's really a way to force yourself to look for that concrete evidence to say, well, if you think you're not good enough, you know, where do you get that from? Did someone say something? Is it a projection? Well, my boss didn't promote me the last time, but do you know that that was the actual reason? You know, so I think it's just to force yourself to be a little bit more objective about, about your, your thinking. Yeah. But if you're, if you're battling to, because most of the conversations are all in our heads. Yeah. 99% of the time. Yeah. Like you tell yourself all these things. And so, so what's the best way to, to take yourself out of your own head yeah. and, and, and not focus on, because it brings negativity. It just, it, it, it's paralyzing so practically what what can you do mm. to get yourself out of out of your own head yeah one exercise I, I usually ask people to do and this is particularly maybe people who feel they don't have strength so it, in fact it, it just in other contexts is to say speak to a couple of people that know you very well and ask them okay. in terms of what you do really well and what are your strengths because i guess you're trying to build that person's confidence right so you yeah. know if i have a feeling that i'm not good enough i haven't done enough right so i get them to actually do an exercise where they curate or list everything that they are proud of whether big or small it doesn't matter if someone said congrats or not right so what what have you been proud of what have you done really well right because i think that's a good starting point and you know sometimes it's to remind yourself to say oh my goodness actually look at all these things i've done you know i got my yeah. degree i got my mba i got all this stuff and then to also speak to other people because you know as you, you know as you're saying sometimes it's in your head but actually maybe people are like wow how, i can't believe that this is what you think of yourself because you know i feel so yeah. getting to people that you trust and saying look uh, you know i mean however you put you can even say i'm trying to do this exercise but to say what are the strengths you know that you feel that i have you know what are the things that you know in your view i should be be proud of you know so, so i think almost then getting an input from other people because you know i know there are certain things we think we're not a big deal but other people you know feel like wow this is actually a, a big deal you know many people have not even you know achieved that type of thing you know in such a few short years or, or whatever the case might be so that exercise is then mm -hmm. and i think also having other people so you know to your point around getting out of your head having other people say it back to you right so people that you trust, people that you are close to you. And, you know, if you also have the comfort level, maybe people that you work with that are not so close to you to say, hey, look, I'm just kind of doing like a self-awareness exercise. And, you know, can you tell me what do you think are my strengths? And I think that's a really good way to then have as a starting point to boost your confidence to say, well, actually, maybe I'm not as as behind as I thought I was, maybe I'm not as incompetent or as unaccomplished as I thought, you know, that I am. Um, and I think, you know, yeah. just to sort of like take the time to celebrate and say, well, this was actually a big deal. I finished my degree while I was, you know, had two babies and, you know, while I was, had a very difficult job. So, I mean, those are things I think that you really need to, we need to be more intentional because I think many things, you know, they just happen and we don't take the time to sort of like celebrate and say, wow, this is more than, you know, maybe most people that I know have done or, you know, what my peers have done. Yeah. 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 So if, if I think, I think that's a great answer because it's amazing how much we, we tell ourselves on mm. a daily basis. Mm. We always just think it's not possible. Um, I can't do this. I can't do that. Up until somebody then starts counting all the good things that you do or what they find value in you. And then you take a step back and you're like, wow, I'm actually quite amazing. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> but 
but but because all is in our head, we are always just like having these conversations yeah. with ourselves. So I think the other thing um, that I wanted to to ask you with COVID nineteen, a lot of people are losing yeah. um, their jobs, and it's happening like so quickly. It's not a matter that you've been given an option to plan mm. of yeah. some sort. It's it's just happening overnight. Yeah. What do you say to that person? Because it's either they're going to be paralyzed and not be sure mm-hmm. what to do with themselves and, and what steps steps that they need to take. So I don't want to underplay that, but I'm one person who always says, when there's change, there's always an opportunity. Yes. But what do you say to that person at that point in time for them to be able to see the opportunity? Because you don't want to discard their emotions mm. at this point. Because the emotions yeah. at this point could be anger, fear, mm. why me, and all these other things. Besides discarding those emotions, like what else can you say to them for them to be able to move, to move forward? Yeah, that's, I think, a really important, and I mean, I think it's something many people are dealing with, right? At, at magnitudes we haven't seen before because it's the economy, it's massive job losses, it's, you know, so many things, you know, a pandemic, you know, so many things happening at the same time, right? And, you know, you're, you know, to your point around it happens very fast. So it's not like you saw it coming and then, you know, people get called in, the company's retrenching. I mean, I, I personally know people who literally got retrenched with, you know, with, with that, with, they didn't even see it coming, you know, in as much as I guess, you know, that the economy is not doing well, but you know, when it happens, it, it, it comes through as a shock and you don't have the time, you know, to, to prepare yourself mentally, you know, out there in the world, it's also really tough. So it's not, you know, a good time to be uh, unemployed. But I think for me, and, you know, I like that you also mentioned the emotions. What I normally say, to people, particularly when they're still in that shock um, factor, right? Is to say, mm-hmm. you cannot be productive or even think of your plan B unless you are well, right? So, you know, you need mm-hmm. to be mentally well, or at least to be, you know, for you to be even think about, let me think straight. You know, it's like that point of, I can't even think straight. So the first thing I always encourage them to do is to take the time. So if you need to cry, if you need to wallow in self-pity, if you need to do all those, you know, Take the time because, you know, you don't, yeah, as you said, want to undermine the magnitude of what has happened. I've lost my income overnight and I've got a family. Yeah. So really to say, you know, if it's, if you need two to three weeks to cry, to speak to someone, just to sit on the couch and do nothing, then take the time that you need. However, I always then, of course, you know, at some point you have to come out of it, right? Because then I guess the difference, you know, when, when, when we talk about resilience, people who are resilient and people who are not resilient, they, they experience the same hardships, right? They have the same pain. Yeah. Um, they have the same difficulty. They live in the same economy. They live under the same circumstances. But people who exercise resilience are able to come out of it. So, you know, there's no shame in you taking a hit and, you know, needing just to, you know, do nothing for two to three weeks or however long it takes for you to be well. Because I guess if it's a case where, you know, you've got really bad anxiety and depression associated, you probably need to deal with that, you know, before you put pressure yeah. on yourself for the next steps. But I found, you know, for most people, and of course, you know, this varies, right? So, so there isn't a right or wrong, uh, you know, there isn't a, a perfect timing to say, okay, it's two weeks is enough for you to wallow, right? Sometimes I was about to ask you, <laughs> is it a month? Is it two yeah. days? Is it yeah, exactly. six months? Like, yeah, so the, yeah. There needs, yeah, so there isn't really a time. But I think where, you know, as we were talking about, where it comes a point where you're, 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 you're not getting out of it, you know, maybe it's been three months and you're like in this stuckness, uh, then at some, that point, maybe, you know, it's not just an app that you need or a good talk with like a friend, a loved one. 
maybe now you actually need some sort of you know professional intervention where you address it right so yeah so i guess you know the, the, the time varies but it, it shouldn't be perpetuated for long because then in that case it becomes unproductive and then it's going to be harder for you to, to get out of it uh, but generally yeah. where you can bounce back yourself after let's say you know a relative short time it's always about breaking it down into small tasks right um so in you know, a conversation that I had with someone who was kind of in that position. So I know that if you say I need to get a job, right? That seems like an unsurmountable task because now I must apply, you know, people are not hiring, there's hiring freezes, there's all sorts of things. So it's always mm-hmm. good to set micro targets per week, you know, start with that. So let's say, yeah. you know, you, you feel well enough. So it's like, okay, you haven't been on the job market for like 10 years. You have no idea. So it does feel overwhelming to say, where do I even start? So I really start with that mm-hmm. person to say, let's just look at your CV this week, read your CV, you know, try and, you know, go and maybe speak to people in your industry or even just go online and try and see what is yeah. a CV, a good CV looking like, you know. So your yeah. task just now is just to review your CV. Then they also get a okay. sense of accomplishment because we haven't said get a job, you know, we've just said our task is to, is to look for, for a CV. And then of course, where there's some wellness things they need to put on. So what I found helpful, and of course, depending on, on the way the person works is just to have a weekly plan, right? So we've worked on your CV okay. today and then the next week, okay, you're happy, you're comfortable, you feel like, okay, you, you're quite confident in how your CV is looking. Maybe it's a week, maybe it's two weeks later. Let's start reaching out to people in your industry, right? Let's start writing a list. Former bosses, former colleagues, people you went to high school with, people you went to varsity with, you know, um, mm. you know, people, someone, people you've met at conferences at events. So let's start reaching out and just talking, you know, just tell, telling them that you're out there, right? Because I guess if you're trying to get it. Yeah. So those micro targets, and at least if the target is this week, I need to reach out to 10 people in my industry. When they come to the end of that week, there's a sense of accomplishment because it's like, well, actually it was really encouraging to hear what they were saying. They gave me tips. They even introduced me to other people. Then obviously, people, ultimately, yeah. that will lead to you getting another job. And of course, in the interim, you might be applying, right? But you know, even if it's yeah. something like, this week, I'm going to register on five job websites because I, I'm not on Pnet, I'm not on LinkedIn, I'm not on any of those. So that could be a micro target. Yeah. Um, and, and then of course, ultimately, that's leading to getting a job. Similarly, if someone wants to change jobs, maybe they haven't been retrained, it, it, you know, it could follow the same thing to say, if it feels very fearful to put, just put yourself out there, just start by talking to peers who work at other companies and, you know, trying to find out this information. Then that way it makes, it feels yeah. more manageable. And because the road ahead is, is long, right? I mean, taking a job has no, you know, it could be a month, it could be six months, it could be a year. It doesn't matter mm. what your CV looks like. It's, it's a very hard thing to predict. But of course, what you're trying to do as individuals to make sure you are positioned in the best light, right? Um, and I think another exercise that's really useful is getting people to write. You know, I get people to, to put in one category things out of their control and put in one category things in their control. That is a very, okay. you know, then it almost gets people to say, this, this is where your attention should go. So I don't have control yeah. where the lockdown will, will end tomorrow, uh, you know, when the pandemic will end, when is the vaccine? So you find you're, you're worried now about when is this, uh, you know, when is the recession going to end? When is the economy going to turn? I mean, yeah, they, they, I'm sure they're good projections. Nobody knows. <laughs> Nobody knows. <laughs> now, if your focus every day is, well, you know, if, but my business, you know, got affected, you know, people, let's say you're baking wedding cakes, people are not doing weddings anymore. When is that, you know, so you, you focus on that, then you can't move forward because you don't know a wedding is going to be allowed again, you know, in, in big masses where people are ordering cakes tomorrow or next yeah. week a month. But then you look at the things that are within your control and that's where you focus. So for example, you know, I guess in the, in the example I gave, you know, if this is your business owner, right? Um, you've lost, you know, maybe wedding cakes are fine, few between. 
So maybe what you have control of to say, look, I've got a, a database of like 500 clients I've worked with, right? I wonder if I can reach out and see what else do they need, you know? So, so now you kind of like start exploring options, right? Because now yeah. you're focused on what, you know, I've got access to my clients. They like me. They're people that I've had relationships with. You know, what else can I do for them besides wedding cakes? Maybe I can just, you know, do catering, daily meals, whatever, right? So because yeah. you, you get paralyzed in, with, in action if you've got things that are out of your control. So, so doing that exercise to say, well, actually, this is where I'm able. And then what that often helps, and if you look at you know, resilience and how to develop resilience, is a sense of action and a sense of control, but a realistic sense of control, right? Control. I've got control mm-hmm. over reaching out to my clients, right? Um, so in as much yeah. as the pandemic has taken away my business, this is a database I can repurpose and use for something else, right? You know, yes, yeah. they were buying cakes yeah. from me, but maybe they'll buy something else from me. Uh, and then that realistic sense, you know, as I mentioned, is to, so you're not going to deny there's a pandemic. You're not going to deny, you know, that people's pockets are tight. You're not going to deny the recession. But say, well, actually, you know, let me actually see what is it that is in demand right now. And the sense of action helps you to get out of that inertia, right? So sometimes you're like stuck because you're like, what is the next step? I've lost my business. I've got all these equipment that I invested in over the years. Now it's just sitting mm. there. But now mm. the action starts to look at, well, maybe I'll reach out to my top five clients and just find out how they are. You know, what are you doing? You know, how have things been? Maybe that's how I can start to brainstorm, right? Because, so don't put pressure on yourself to say, I must find the next business idea now, tomorrow. So the first thing is, let me send a quick survey, a quick WhatsApp chat to like my 10 or 20 clients this week. So that's your target. Yeah. Start talking to them, putting yourself. And then, you know, through, once you start engaging in action, you feel more in control to say, look, yes, I, have, I don't have a new business plan yet, but at least I'm starting to hear what people are, are looking for. Then maybe that's going to shape the direction that I go. So a, a sense of action is always useful because then you know, it takes you out of that paralytic thing of, you know, nothing can be done. All is doom and gloom. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for that. Because there's a buzzword these days. I'm not sure if I'm liking this buzzword (laughs) about pivoting. It's all about pivoting yourself. I'm like, oh my God, if I have to hear pivot again. (laughs) Yeah, I guess, yeah. But but the reality is that when when you're in a space where things are difficult, the next question is, what do I have control over? And what can I do differently? And I think if um, people can get themselves into that mindset, it's easier said than done mm. when you feel like everything is falling apart. Yeah. But I think y- you always just have to, um, to figure out that control factor. And that, because you can only work with what you've got control yes. over. Yes. And nothing else, you know. Mm. And, and I think with age, talking for myself mm. in this conversation, um, when I really realized the control factor, that's where the decision making for me became easier. Yeah. Or embrace, embracing change became easier because then I would sit there and go, Do I have control or not? If the answer is no, yeah. then I'm done. I'm like, <laughs> I'm not going exactly. there because it's not going to help me, you know? But I think figuring that out for yourself is the most important, is the most important thing. Mm. Is there anything else that you would like to add from your side around this conversation of fear and what people can do? Yeah, I think for me, you know, as I mentioned at the beginning, that one of the best ways to get over fear is really by confronting it and, you know, not confronting it as a whole, but actually, you know, in bits and pieces. So, you know, if, if you're afraid 
you know, to, you know, it could even be on a personal level. You're afraid to engage in a relationship because you're afraid to be hurt, you know, whatever the case might be. So you need to say, well, actually, you know, let me just start to get to know people, you know, so, so doing it bit by bit helps you to give, get a sense of confidence. And over time, you actually become less afraid. So as, you know, in my example of presentations, right, where your first time, it will be extremely fearful, you'll be overwhelmed, you know, your palms will be sweating, but the more you do it, the more confidence you gain and the more mastery, you know, it's like the personal mastery, right? Yeah. Uh, mastery yeah. takes practice. Now you will never be able to conquer anything that you don't practice. And it's not putting pressure on yourself to say, I'm going to do one presentation and, you know, there I go. And I think to what you said yeah. as well around reframing threats uh, as opportunities, it's also like, uh, you know, something that's used in psychology, like a reframing, right? And I think, you know, you mm. find like strategy books and, and it talks about looking at, because what that does mentally, right? So, when I look at, you know, let's say if I've got a business, you know, uh, that has been hit, maybe I'm in the hospitality industry, right? You know, which is an example of an industry that has really been hit. So, of course, the yeah. threat is real of what has happened. But if I see it as a threat, like my business is going down, people are not going to go on holiday, no one is spending time on money and on leisure, right? That's a threat. And, you know, it, 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 it kind of like brings you to inaction. However, if you frame it as an opportunity, so opportunity Trinity. mentally... Yeah. Actually, one, it gives you like a, a positive outlook. It gives you a sense of challenge because now, you know, instead of me running away and like wallowing over what I'm losing, I'm now like, hey, this is an opportunity. Now I'm challenged to use my, yeah. my database of 500 clients to do something else, right? Um, yeah. so, so it kind of then comes with, you know, challenge with action, you know, with kind of like a, it has a more positive association, uh, you know, to, to, to how you actually move forward. You know, and I think also to your point of pivoting, some people, you know, might do it. Others might be forced to because I'm thinking of certain industries where they've almost come to a standstill, right? Where you're like, look, Stand I need to do yeah. something else. And I think the most important thing, particularly around this time, is compassion to self. You know, we put ourselves under a lot of pressure to get out of a rut, to get to the next step immediately, right? And it's a process. I was talking to someone who was, you know, I was talking to someone who I think needed to address a particular situation. And I said to her, you know, don't put pressure. You're going to think you're going to see immediate results, right? Sometimes the mm, process is mm. qualitative to an extent where it's only maybe after four or five months, you know, so, so, so don't say, well, I, I must get a feeling of, okay, I'm waking up today. So it's like, even when you look at resilience, resilience is like a muscle that you build. So I can't go listen to a motivational, uh, you know, video on YouTube and then suddenly I'm resilient. I'm, I'm ready, good to go, right? It's something that you have yeah. to practice on a day-to-day -day basis. And it is through those small micro you know, habits that eventually it kind of like leads to, 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 a, to a lifestyle change. Um, yeah, so I think yeah. the compassion to self and, you know, I, I always use this example to people to say, particularly when you're being hard on yourself, right? And you feel, okay, I'm not, a, I'm not a good parent right now. I feel like I don't have enough time for my kids. I feel like I'm not, you know, I'm failing my family because I'm not making enough money. I've had my salary cut, whatever the case. I'm always like, if someone were to tell you, a friend, a loved one were to come to you and share that situation with you, what would you say? On almost automatically, they'll be like, no, I'll tell her, don't worry, you're doing your best. So what if you're not getting everything? Yeah. And then they almost, you know, kind of like brings a surprising feeling when you say, well, so why are you not telling yourself? Why, not why is it that, that yourself? the yeah. words that you tell to a friend, uh, a loved one, you're not giving yourself? In fact, you are very harsh on yourself. You feel you should get everything mm -hmm. right. Your, your homeschooling stuff should be all in order. You know, your house should be clean. Mm -hmm. You know, everything should be. So that self-compassion is very important because I think you need to tell yourself, you know what, I've done what I can for today. 
you know, and, and I can't do any more and that's okay. And I mean, it's something, you know, that personally that I've also learned, I guess, you know, through to say you're living through a pandemic, you don't only have a higher workload, you also have more of a life load. So it's okay if you're not doing yeah. everything that you need to. And I think another one as well, just around the economy and change is, you know, if you have to, in the interim, take a survival job, you know, a, a stopgap type of opportunity, that's okay too, right? Um, mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean mm-hmm. that, you know, that is your permanent situation. Because I also realized there's a balance between sometimes the ideal situation might take months, even a year or eight months or nine months yeah. to come. And in the meantime, yeah. you, you still need to have some sort of confidence. You need to wake up and have some sort of meaning. You know, you need to have an income, right? For some people, which is a more mm-hmm. realistic threat. And it's okay if you take uh, a, what you call it, uh, you know, they call it a, a survival job, a survival opportunity, right? And I know people personally who literally are doing survival opportunities right now, but in the back uh, end, you know, they're still obviously working on their bigger dream. I need to get another job in my industry and I need to yeah, get a profession that's yeah. aligned. But in the moment, I'm catering, I'm selling cakes, I'm doing whatever it is that, that I can do. And I think that's okay to be able to plug you. Uh, and then it also puts less pressure on you achieving something, you know, which might take a little bit while longer to, to sort of like get. So I think there is absolutely no shame uh, in not having, uh, in, not, in not engaging in an opportunity that's less than ideal. Right now, I think survival is really the only success criteria that I've survived from day to day. I fed my family, you know, so that I think for me is really a win for anyone. And then, you know, everything else is above that because I know we also have a lot of pressure to, to have everything sorted out, you know, it, it sometimes yeah. it takes time, the time that it needs to take. Yeah. No, it does. Thanks for that. Yeah. As you were talking, I think another thing that I always, a conversation that I always have with myself and with some of my clients is because some of the fear comes with what if it doesn't succeed? What mm-hmm. if somebody says no? And, and I always say, so what if it goes wrong? Like, are you going to die? <laughs> and 100% of the time, chances are you're not going to die. Yeah. It's just a matter of not being able to deal with the rejection or mm. that sense of failure or whatever it is. But you find that 90% of the time, life goes on exactly. in some shape or form. But we get stuck in, so what if, what if? And there are all these what if statements that we put, we put out there. And, and all it takes, as you say, is to try it out. And you mm-hmm. can try it out in small bits and pieces, and then you see what the outcome looks, looks like. Yeah, and I think, sorry, as you were saying that, you know, I guess a, a last, last word, um, one thing that came to mind was, you know, so people, people are very focused on the negative. What if I fail, you know, catastrophizing? Mm-hmm. What if, you know, I get rejected? But, you know, a nice strategy you can use is something called the silver lining approach, right? So this is where... You think about the worst case scenario. What if I get rejected? What if I fail? What if they say you're not good enough to be a manager? But at the same time, look at the best case scenario, right? So best case is I get the job. Best case is I ace it. Best case is I get a pay raise. Best case is my team loves me, right? So look at both extremities. And then, you know, it also most forces your mind. Okay, now your mind is so focused on the worst case. Now, what about the, the best case? And then, you know, kind of come yeah. to what is the most likely scenario. And you find it somewhere in between, right? And I think yeah. you know, just because something is uncertain, it doesn't mean that a negative outcome would ensue, right? So let's say you lose your job, you know, 
perhaps maybe you lose your job and you get a much more better one, right? Um, yeah, exactly. So, exactly. so because an outcome is, is uncertain or you're not sure, it very well, there is no reason why it can't be the best case scenario, right? Um, yeah, so I think just yeah. focusing your mind on both helps to keep a healthy balance on, on your outlook. Yeah, yeah. And I, I also think being able to ask for help because yes. we were just born we want to be the best at what we do and we always think asking for help is um is is being weak if yes. i might put it that way and the one thing that i've learned is that asking the only thing the other person can say is no i can't help mm. but you actually find that most of the time people are willing to help in some shape or form so there's always something there as well mm. Anyway, Fiona, thank you very much. How can people find you? So you can go to my website, fionamartin.com. Fiona is spelled with a P-H-I. And um, on my website, you can see all the links to my social media. So Instagram, YouTube, uh, LinkedIn. Yeah, you, you can find it all there. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much for doing this with me. I know we promised people that we would have done this like a week ago. <laughs> but life yeah. happens. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know. So thank you. Thank you for the time. And I really highly appreciate it. Thank you so much, Mpume. Thanks. Keep well. Thank you for listening to Change Conversations. If you enjoyed our show and you would like to help support the podcast, Please share it with others and kindly post about it on your social media platforms. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram and YouTube at Change Conversations with Mbume. I am Mbume Ngobedaga signing out and I will see you again next week.